many analogies for the Christian life, many ways in which we experience or we choose to describe salvation, what it means to be saved, what it means to be a Christian. This is actually something we'll be talking about in the confirmation class. What does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, But one of the primary analogies and metaphors that the Bible uses to describe who a person is who is in Christ, to describe a person who has been saved, is that they are born again, right? Why do we fixate on that? It's because Jesus himself said it, right? Uh, Think about the new birth that Jesus talks about in John chapter 3 when he talks to Nicodemus. And in John 3, 3, he tells Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How are we to enter the kingdom of God? How are we to enter into God's righteousness and rest? It is only through a new birth. To be born again, born anothen. Another way to say it would be born from above. A birth that is outside of us. I mean, all births are outside of the one being born, but all, a birth that is beyond, beyond the scope of our limited reality and one that can only be accomplished as, again, as you read in the catechism today, one that can only be accomplished through our Lord, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So we're born again. And when we say that we're born again, when we say that we're saved, right, what does that analogy say for us? We're not just saved, we're not just justified, as we've talked about earlier in Romans chapter 8. We're not simply made good, but we are brought into family. We are saved not just from our sin, not just from slavery, not just from death, but we are saved unto an inheritance that is owed only to those who are in the family. We are saved to the sonship and daughtership in God. <clears throat> but what we, what we read here today is that not only are we brought into the family of God by birth, but we're also brought into the family by adoption. And this is the, the twofold mystery of our ingrafting into the family of God. We are, we are made sons and we are made daughters, not just by a new birth by the Spirit, but by adoption. Now, we won't get too deep into the weeds of kind of the deep systematic theology of that, but let me just quote once again J.I. Packer. I've quoted him before, but he says this, uh, because I think when we, we very rarely think about adoption in our, in our standing as Christians. We say that we're saved. We say that we're forgiven. We say um, that we're rescued, redeemed. But very rarely do we say, I'm adopted, right? Because saying that's sort of like a, not a, you know, not a, not a dirty word, but people, you know, people aren't going around being like, hey, I'm adopted, right? Um, we'll talk about the context of adoption in Paul's day, maybe a little later, maybe not. But J.I. Packer says this, Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God, the father, is greater. To be right with God, the judge, is 
what we call justification. We are justified before God by faith alone. But not only are we justified, we are adopted. We are brought into the house, and God says, eat with us, rest with us, be a part of this story. So we have been adopted into the family of God, and yet we are awaiting adoption. What does it say? We, not, in verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. We wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The scripture says that we have been adopted, and yet we are awaiting adoption. What's that all about? Well, this mystery that we are adopted and yet we are awaiting adoption is sort of, it's the fundamental uh, and underlying premise of basically Paul's entire like anthology. Every time you read Paul's letters, whether it's Romans, the letter of the, like the, uh, the Corinthians, Ephesians, whatever, any of it, you have to keep this in mind that in Paul's heart and in Paul's mind, he has this reality in view, that we are adopted and yet we are awaiting adoption. That there is, I'm going to say the big word again, there, this is Paul's eschatology, right? This is Paul's view of the end times. And the end times are not just some like wacko, um, like 666, like, oh my God, the beast is coming. No, the end times are now. We are living in these last days, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through, 1 through 4. Remember, we read that. We are in these last days, and we are experiencing the, the final breaths of creation as we await the coming of our Savior once again. And so, as we are adopted, we are yet waiting the fullness, we are waiting for the fullness of our adoption in Christ. Some theologians would call this Paul's already, not yet theology already not yet eschatology right that even though we have exp we have gained and we have received and we experience the glory of what it means to be adopted in Christ and there are many glories for that and yet there's an even greater glory waiting for us there's an even greater expression of adoption that is awaiting us and not just adoption I'm going to kind of go off the rails here but an even greater expression of even our justification. That we know what it means to be made right before God and we have nothing to prove before him, but how much greater is that reality going to be when you actually stand in front of God and you actually stand in front of the judge and he looks at you and, I don't know, I'd be trembling in fear and, and when those words come out of his mouth, you are forgiven. You are saved. You are completely justified. You are righteous in my sight. <coughs> it's kind of like, uh, yeah, never mind. Anyway, uh, so yeah, it's the already, not yet. And so today I want to bring up, uh, talk about verse 23 in sort of three dimensions. These will be our three points for today. And each of these three points have three subpoints, so it'll be pretty easy to organize in your notes if you're taking it. I want to first talk about, you know, before you're adopted, you are an orphan. So I'm going to talk about the despair of our orphanage. 
Secondly, I'm going to talk about the delight of our adoption already. And finally, the delight of our adoption, not yet, right? So the despair of our orphanage, the delight of our adoption already, and the delight of our adoption, not yet. Because indeed, before, before we were adopted, we lived in the despair of our standing as orphans. And there are three ways in which being an orphan before the Father, or being spiritually orphaned, uh, causes us to despair, or is, is justification for our despair. The first is, the, and it's, this sermon's going to have a lot of Fs. It just happened to be that way. It's going to be, every subpoint is an F, right? There are good Fs, and there are bad Fs. And these are some bad Fs, right? The first is futility. We despair in our orphanage because of the futility of our being orphans. Because nothing we do measures up. If you're an orphan, whether you're Annie in the musical, or you're some guy on the street, or even now, you, when you're an orphan, either physically or spiritually, you can't work your way into the family. Orphans don't work their way into the family. Orphans don't smile their way into a family. And so no matter how much, you put, how much you put into being religious, how much you put into being a good person, whatever that means, uh, how much you put into uh, whatever, you, it's, it's futile, all of it. And it's the difference between how a family views a, a servant, a great servant, the best servant, versus how they see their children. You could be the best servant in, the, in history. But unless they sign the papers, I'm adopting this guy, the servant's not part of the family. The father's blood does not flow through that person's veins. And even if, we're talking about adoption, so that the blood analogy doesn't work, but <laughs> the servant's not getting the inheritance. The servant has no part in calling. I mean, he's not going to say, that's my daddy. These are my brothers. No, that's a servant. But children, Children, they could, they could be the worst. <laughs> they could be the worst children until someone cuts them off, right? But the children, they still receive the inheritance. You know, Parks and Rec, anybody seen that show? Money, please, right? They suck. These children suck, and yet they're still his children. And if you don't get that reference, good. Stay away from that show. The futility of our orphanage leads us to despair. Not only our futility, but our fruitlessness, our fruitlessness. If you are an orphan outside of the family of God, you cannot conjure up true religion. You cannot conjure up true things about God in your life. Without, and if you don't have the DNA, and not even the DNA, if you don't have the promise of the inheritance of God, you cannot resemble God's family. All you can do really is try to imitate members of God's family, but that imitation merely becomes parody. It's just a parody. Parody as in P-A-R-O-D-Y. It's a parody. Think about all of these, um, these Christian leaders that we've seen in the news of the past half, ten, half decade, decade, right? And they put on a great show. 
they put on a, they do a great job imitating what it means to be a man of God. But we realize, that, and, and you always get found out. You always get found out. Why? Because their imitation, it's just a parody. It's, it's a mockery of what it actually looks like to be a son of God. All right? And so you see them, um, you see the fall of so many Christian leaders, so many Christians who, <clears throat> who have not actually been changed by adoption via the Holy Spirit in Christ because, because their imitation is fruitless, because they are still orphans. And the tragedy of it is it's despair not only for them, but for all the people who are in their circles of influence. How many, how many churches have crumbled to the ground and how many people's, um, how much uh, genuine faith has just been really tested by these things, by these kinds of false imitations. And so our orphanage is futile. It is fruitless. But ultimately, and most obviously, if you're an orphan, you are fatherless. You're fatherless. And what I mean by fatherlessness, not the human flourishing is contingent on the presence of authority. Human, human flourishing is contingent on the presence of authority. And you might hear that, and authority and power is such a dirty word these days. But think about it. Chaos is not peace. Order is peace. Human flourishing is contingent on such order. And how do we, how do we create order? How does order come about? It is via authority. And it is the authority of the father, not just in the family setting, but in our spiritual setting too. We need a spiritual father to create order, to create boundaries, to, create, to have uh, a structure of authority in, in us and for us in order that we may flourish, in order that we may live out what it truly means to be a human being. And without a right or true authority, without a true father, we turn to another for authority. Or even worse, we make ourselves out to be the true and right authority. We make ourselves out to be truly and rightly authoritative. This is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm a Presbyterian because uh, there's always like levels of people above you. Not above you, but just like a lot of checks and balances in the Presbyterian system. A lot of, and there's always an elder um, to keep the senior pastor in check and above that there's a Presbyterian. And I'm not gonna bore you with this, I already did, I'm sorry. But I'm listening to the, uh, for school, I had to listen to the podcast, uh, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, I don't know if, has anybody listened to that podcast? So don't listen to it all at once like I did. It's going to bum you the crap out. But um, one of the major problems for this church, why did this church, uh, why did Mark Driscoll just go on this power surge? Because he was completely unchecked. There was no authority in his life. And even though people tried to be authoritative in his life, he, he refused it, and he made himself out to be the greatest authority. Does anybody know what Mars Hill is? Like, are you guys familiar with Mars Hill? Oh, what? what? Oh, all right, okay. So, all right, all right. when I was in college, 
Right? When I was in college, uh, Marsdale was sort of at the peak, or it, it appeared to be at the peak of its influence. Um, you guys know the band King's Kaleidoscope? Or Citizens? Or, right? Those bands came out of Mars Hill. Mars Hill was this countercultural uh, Seattle based church, mega church. It had like, um, you know, 5,000 or more people. Um, it collapsed in like a matter of like weeks because lack of authority. All right, I'm spending too much time on this. So all this to say, um, the despair of our orphanage is futility, fruitlessness, and fatherlessness, and especially fatherlessness, because without authority, the only result, it will only result in peacelessness, restlessness, and identitylessness. Thanks be to God that we do not despair in orphanage, but we delight in our adoption, and we delight in our adoption already. What do we have? Oh my goodness, I spent a lot of time on that. What do we have in our adoption already? We have family, we have fearlessness, and we have fellowship. In our adoption that we experience right now here, we have a family. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We, so why does Paul say that, right? Uh, Elsewhere in the Bible, right? Paul says that we are heirs of Christ and co-heirs with Christ. uh, We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Why does he say that? It's because we have been given the benefits and identity of Christ himself. Not that we are Christ, but we have all the good things that Christ has coming to him, coming to us, right? Paul says in verse 23, we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. What does first fruits mean? Uh, In the Old Testament, right, when people had to give offerings to God, you gave the first fruit. And the first fruit is the, the first, like, really good fruit or really good harvest that you have, right? And instead of selling it at the market, you give it to God. This is the best of the best. First fruits are the best of the best. And that's what we have. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We don't have leftovers. We don't have scraps. We've you know, like, you ever been to McDonald's and, like, they just took the fries and nuggets out of the, out of the deep fryer and then you put it in your mouth and it's all crispy and crunchy and you're like, oh, this is, this is the best fry I ever had. That's what we have, but in the spirit. First fruits. You're the best of the best. See, Jesus is not like Esau, if you know your Bible. Jesus is not Esau, and we're not Jacob, that we have to kind of trick him into blessing us. Oh, Jesus, I promise I'm going to go to church and pray really hard, and I'm going to give offering. Please bless me. No, we don't have to do that. We have the fullness of his blessing and kindness already. Why? Because we're adopted. We're in the family. We have the fullness of our inheritance already. And therefore, we are fearless. We are fearless. We do not fear the wrath of God or the sting of death or the chains of sin, because we're in the family. I think about my, all right, so one, um, I think it was, it was John's birthday, right? John Charles' birthday, we were at the, we ate uh, Sundubu, and it was great, everybody had a great time, okay? So I picked up Debbie, I made my way over to the parking lot by, uh, what was that, noodle shop? Anyway, what doesn't matter. So I'm like crossing the corner, right? And I'm holding Debbie. And uh, my leg, my foot gets caught in like a root or something, and I do one of these, oh, right? And I fall. I'm like effed up, man. I'm, I'm, I'm messed up, right? But Debbie, Debbie's unscathed. Why? Why? Because I'm not, I'm not going to let that happen. I am never going to let that happen. 
right? Um, as long as she is in my arms, that's the, safe to, that's the safest she's ever going to be, right? No matter, no matter the type of pain that I go through or whatever, in my arms, that's the safest that my children are going to be, <laughs> right? But when they're not in my arms, right, I'll tell you what happened yesterday. You ever been to my parents' house in Norwood? Doesn't even matter, all right? They got stairs, okay? And so <clears throat> um, she's climbing up the stairs, going downstairs, and she, I'm like at the top of the stairs, and Esther's at like the bottom of the stairs, and neither of us are in a position to uh, prevent what happens next, which is Debbie kind of crosses her legs and goes rolling down the stairs. All right. Luckily, she hit the side of her head and not the back of her head. When she is in my arms, she is the most safe she's ever going to be. When she is not, <laughs> that's the most danger that she's ever going to be in. <laughs> she is in most danger when I am far away. And likewise, we never have to fear ever again because we are never, ever leaving the grip of God ever again. Ever. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So do not be afraid. Shut up, Debbie! Do not be afraid. God has you. And not only that, but we have fellowship. We have fellowship. Because we're all in the family. We're all in the family. We are not doing this alone. But we have the fellowship of the church and the fellowship of our brothers and sisters who are going through maybe not the same thing, but the same kinds of pains and the same kinds of sufferings. And yet, who also know the goodness and the riches of the adoption that we have in Christ. That when you begin to forget who you are in Christ, that there are other people in the church, not just our church, but in the church, right, who can tell you, hey, get your head in the game. You were bought with a price. You are not your own, but you belong, body and soul, to Christ Jesus, your Lord, who gave himself for you. You didn't do anything to deserve his salvation, his adoption. In fact, you did everything the opposite. And yet, here you are, saved by grace through faith. So pick your head up. And that's our job as fellow Christians, as fellow heirs in Christ, as brothers and sisters in Crossway Fellowship and in the global church. So that, those, are, that, those are the delights of our adoption. Would you delight in, your, in the fullness of your adoption? Oh, ah, oops, sorry. Or would you delight in the, the fact that you were part of the family, you have nothing to fear, and that you have fellowship in the church? And finally, we delight in our adoption, not yet, because there is a fullness that awaits us. There is a fullness that, that awaits us. There is more. There is more. You know, the, uh, most, a lot of you were like three when the iPhone first came out. Bro, that was so freaking lit, though, because, like, Steve Jobs is going through, like, all that boring stuff, right? Like, oh, the, the Macintosh computer has, like, two megabytes of storage and, like, blah, blah, blah. 
And then like, we think the conference is over. And then he goes, but wait, there's more. What if there was a device that could use the internet and it was a phone? And it could, what if it could do all these things? It's one phone, right? It was, all right, anyway, it was lit. There's more, there's actually more that awaits us. It's not simply the, the benefits that we have in this life, but there is so much more coming to us. Think about um, when I heard this example, she was still alive, but think about Queen Elizabeth, right? When did she become queen? When did she become queen? Was it when she was coronated? No, I feel like I'm talking to Debbie. No, it's when her father died. And yet the, the time between her father dying and her coronation, it was like a year. But did that make her any less queen? No. <laughs> we are, we are kings and queens. We have the fullness of adoption and yet there's more. There's an iPhone coming our way. <laughs> there is a coronation coming our way and, the, and we will experience the fullness of adoption where we will see our father face to face and we will cry to him, not Father, Lord, but Abba, Father, Abba, Abba, whatever it is in Mandarin. What is it in Mandarin? All right, all right, everybody calm down. Okay, and that's why we groan inwardly, right? We read that groaning inwardly and we think, we immediately think, oh, we're groaning because it hurts. Or we're groaning because living here sucks. We're groaning because, you know, life is pain. But no, we're not groaning because things hurt, but we're groaning. I mean, it does hurt. But we're groaning because we are so eager and so anticipatory for the glories to come. It's like when you, you see, I don't know anyone who actually orders the fajita at Edison Diner. But when you see the fajita, you can't help but emit a noise from your mouth, right? You're like, ooh, or like... Ooh, that's the groaning we're talking about, right? That's the groaning. We're like, oh, man, what is that? I want that. But I didn't order it, and I have, I'm college, so no money. So we delight in the fullness that is to come. And uh, the last two points are pretty quick. We delight in the freedom that is to come. That though we are free, we, ex we are waiting for an e even deeper and fuller freedom. Because look at me. I'm sick. But one day, I will never be sick. One day, you will never shed a tear ever again. One day, you will never experience the pain of loss, the sorrow of not having, because you are going to delight in the fullness and of the freedom of your adoption. Because even though Christ has already said it is finished, at the cross. He is coming once again to come again, here's the big word, in eschatological triumph and declare again the fullness and the freedom of our complete adoption. And he will come in the triumph as king, as Lord, and we are united and joined to that glory. And so let's delight in the thought of that. Let's delight that as, as many of the benefits as we experience here and now, there's so much more coming to us. And so to conclude, uh, if the praise team can come up, do you delight in your adoption? 
Do you delight in your adoption? Do you even think about it? Or do you yet despair in your orphanage of the past? My brothers and my sisters, let us come and rejoice that we have been engrafted into the family of God, that we can delight in our adoption both for the here and now and for the adoption that is to come. Let's pray. Father, uh, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so, Lord, would you come quickly? Would you come and would you restore us? And would you, um, would you, would you redeem us to the fullness of the adoption that is promised here? That although we have the riches of your adoption already, that there is a richness that, that we do not yet know, but we long to know it. And so, Father God, would we put our hope in the gospel that indeed all of this has been won for us, that we are not living in such a way that we can earn our way into your family, but because you have adopted us and because there is a fullness of adoption that is coming, Lord, may we live in accordance with your righteousness, in accordance with your will, that we may be pleasing to you, not so that we can earn your favor, but because you have already found favor in us through your son, Jesus Christ. Would you bless all of us in this way, that our minds and hearts would be set upon our adoption. In Jesus' name I pray.